Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. We're your hosts for this week. It's me, Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs. And me, Farmers Guardian business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Subscribe to all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast to ensure you stay up to date with new episodes. In this week's show, we're looking at beef as we continue our mini-series on how the different farming sectors are preparing for the end of the Brexit transition period on December 31st. Jess Fredenberg talks to Neil Shand about what's on the horizon, the implications of the internal market bill for the beef sector and what advice he can give producers right now. The Country Land and Business Association is the only organisation solely dedicated to the protection of land and property rights and promoting the interests of the wider rural economy. We help our members work in the best interests of the land, wildlife and the environment. Join today at www.cla.org.uk. Hi folks, this week we are continuing our mini-series looking at how the different farming sectors are preparing for the end of the Brexit transition period on the 31st of December. Today we're looking at the beef sector and to do that I'm joined by Neil Shand, a beef farmer himself and interim chief executive of the National Beef Association. Neil, in a nutshell, can you just remind us, please, what is a no deal going to mean or what will it likely mean for the UK beef sector and beef producers? Quite honestly, I don't think anyone knows, but it's regardless of that, it's not something we should be scared of. And I would look at the possibility of a no deal giving us a carbon copy of what we've seen in the industry since the middle to the end of April, where borders were kind of closed. And as beef producers, the country fully depended on what we could produce ourselves in terms of beef and the increase in demand for homegrown beef went through the roof. Um, That coincided obviously with the shutdown of the food service sector which is the main user of imported products in the UK, imported beef. So when when that stopped going into the food sector and the huge food-sized hole created in everyone's fridge by the food service sector being closed it meant there was a huge demand for home-produced beef. And a no deal initially will probably lead to that scenario. It will also mean tariffs on imported beef. So anything coming in from Ireland is going to have a tariff on it of some sort or another, varying from what people guess on a shelf price of close to 300%. So I wouldn't be scared of it. Um, I think it's probably going to happen. I think my guess would be there'll be no deal Um, right up until the 31st of December and probably by the middle of January both sides will come together and come to some form of amicable agreement but I think they will both stand their ground till the end of the year and we'll have all the preparation to to make for a, a no deal. Okay so how do you think a no deal is going to work in terms of balancing the carcass because from what I understand that's quite an important part of the trade that we currently have with the EU in terms of beef isn't it? To a certain extent, but we also import a lot of poorer cuts from, from Ireland. There's a lot of mince 
and, and diced beef comes in from Ireland. And we were actually told by the processing industry at the start of the pandemic, the, the carcass balance would be uncontrollable and, you know, the top cuts and lots of steak would have to be stored. And that's not been the case. And we've seen a demand, as I said, for homegrown beef going through the roof. And to me, that is exactly what will happen in the first few months of, of a no-deal scenario. What comes after that um, is hard to work out. And the other problem we've got, if we were coming to the end of the year only looking at Brexit, things would be easier to plan. But we're looking at a pandemic combined with Brexit. So it's almost impossible to predict what either could throw at us as a combination, if you know what I mean. Mm, yes, and I suppose combined with what is going to be a very significant economic slump, most likely. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things going on, isn't there? Um, I mean, of course, another important thing that we should talk about is the internal market bill, which obviously has quite big ramifications for for Ireland and what moves between Northern Ireland and Ireland and the border there. You know, what what is likely? Do you think what is the significance of that for the beef sector? Well, I think we've got to remember that we are an we're a net importer of beef, and we have to make sure we don't lose meat-eating customers to other proteins by not having beef to provide people with beef. On the other hand, Northern Ireland is a population of less than two million, but produces food for closer to ten, so they need unfettered access into GB. That's very important, and also to a degree, we need potentially some beef from from. Ireland, Southern Ireland or the Republic. What we have to be very careful of is that we don't get inferior and other EU produce coming through from Ireland into Northern Ireland and dripping its way into GB. And it's very important that we don't have a leaky border for that type of product, which will influence our producers' farm gate price. Because we see that, you know, imported beef is used as a manipulant to control farm gate price here. At the moment, the, the way things stand at the moment, like you said, there's a lot of different things going on, a lot of factors to take into account. When you're having conversations with beef producers around the country, what are the sorts of things that are coming up in conversation for you at the moment with them? You know, are they are they sort of wanting to talk about life outside the EU or have they got other concerns right now? What, what's kind of going on? I think, in all honesty, no, nobody really knows. I think, you know, the whole issue, and I, I don't, I'm not devaluing the seriousness of the pandemic, but the pandemic is having an influence on everything. Farmgate price at the moment is near to a five-year high. The returns are good enough to give encouragement to reinvest. Beef production is an exonerable process, and the beef that we're eating now, production was started three years ago. And the production that's in process from bulls being put to cows this spring and also you know beef coming out of the dairy herd for that matter will be eaten in two years, two and a half, three years time. Nobody is able to change direction at the drop of a hat and everyone will just edge towards the end of the year keeping a very close eye on what is predicted to happen but at the same time we just have to wait and see what actually does happen. So you think almost beef producers will be waiting more to see what happens before making any bigger decisions, like you say, because it, it's the longer um, production process, isn't it? it, uh, it absolutely. And I, and I think we, we can't... It's so hard to predict what happens. And, you know, with government telling us they want to have everything concluded by the middle of October, but on the other hand, all the leaks you read are everyone is now preparing for a no deal. What we, what we do need is... is in, you know, encouragement, as we have had with the recent farm gate price, for beef producers to keep investing in their business 
and make sure that the country is supplied with food over the next nine months, which will be the last three months of this year and, and the first half of next year, regardless what happens. You know, one of the things that the pandemic has brought to the surface is food security and perhaps the vulnerability of our country to be able to feed itself. And I think as farmers and beef producers, everyone will concentrate on making sure that there is beef there available to be consumed when needed. Absolutely. And um, sorry, I don't know if anyone can hear, but I think uh, someone is drawing their hair in the background here or something. <laughs> Obviously, we're all working from home. Got a bit of a whirring noise going on. <laughs> Apologies for that. <laughs> but um, Neil, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously, you know, you've highlighted quite a lot of, of things there. And um, like you say, nobody nobody really knows what's going to happen. So I guess the one thing that producers can control is more things like their potentially their cost of production, you know, really drilling down on those costs, benchmarking, really examining their businesses, putting them in a, the most, I guess, resilient position that they possibly can. Is that something that you think many people have felt able to do at this point or have been actively doing? What would you say is happening there? I, I, again, it's quite difficult. We're coming to the end of the common agricultural policy. You know, food production will be supported in a different way, and that's another variable to throw in, which in theory mm. comes into place next year as the phasing out of area payments. English producers arguably are not fully aware yet of how their system will work. Some of the devolved countries have already made it clear that they will just basically stand on for the next few years. So that there's, there's that variable, which is actually a fear for producers who don't know how much support they're going to have. It's really difficult to build in, as I said, the, the, the length of the process of beef production is so long, people can't just turn a switch off and on. And there will be perhaps a, a bumpy period for a few months if there is a no deal, but I'm sure it will settle down. I would agree to, the, to an extent with George Eustace, who says we should not be scared of a no deal. It gives us more opportunities potentially and more control of our own destiny. And as a net importer, it, it will pr protect our beef producers a little bit from cheap imports. Okay. So what would you say to, uh, to a farmer, a, a beef producer, coming to you at this point and saying, you know, there's all these variables, I'm really not sure what to do? Like, what, what, what would you be your kind of main piece of advice at the moment to prepare for anything that might be coming down the line, whether it's a risk or an opportunity? I think the, the, the message to everyone at the moment would be keep doing what you're doing and try and do it better. As you say, improve efficiency, reduce your costs, try and get your operation to be as, as lean as possible. And if you have the opportunity, invest. Don't be scared to invest in the, in the future beef production. You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today. Thanks to Jez and Neil for that insight. Now, productivity is in the spotlight as the UK approaches Brexit and major changes in agricultural policy. Becoming more productive could also have a big influence on the industry's ambition to reach net zero by 2040. New plans from the National Beef Association propose redefining prime cattle to those slaughtered between 10 and 28 months of age as a workable solution to reduce carbon emissions. The UK is only 75% self-sufficient in beef production and is currently relying on imports to fill the gap.
but the plans would allow for an expansion in the suckler herd without raising emissions. These can then replace imports from countries such as Brazil, Botswana, Uruguay and Namibia, which have some of the highest production emissions in the world. Utilising data was also key for individual farmers wanting to track their carbon footprint, as well as their costs and profits. I spoke with Bertie Newman, who farms at Manor Farm near Dorchester in Dorset. Their farm is part of AHDB's Strategic Farms project, and he told me how they were benchmarking to improve their profitability and grassland management. You just want to run me through, first of all, just tell me a little bit about the farm and the setup. Yeah, okay, so we're organic beef and sheep in Dorset and uh, in Dorchester. Uh, we run about a thousand North Country Cheviot ewes, which this year we're going to run Romney rams on, Texel rams and Cheviot rams. We've then got a suckler herd of about 120 this year, which is coming down a little bit, which we put Charlie and limousine bulls on, right through to finish, keeping right through to they're finished. And then over the last year, we've done TV isolation beef cross calves, which we're rearing, which you might be able to hear in the background. <laughs> in the spring, I did 45, I did 50 actually. And then in the last autumn, so a year ago now, I did 50. And hopefully I'll have 100 in this autumn. And the plan is to keep them through till finished, I think, most of them. And then we also do a little bit of contracting with a baler and a wrapper. And that's about, about what we do. We cover about 1,500 acres of very rough grazing, really, the most majority of it. Um, we've got a bit of good ground at home, which we grow our own feed on. We're organic. We tend to try and grow all our own feed if possible. You're benchmarking. So so when did you start benchmarking and, and why? Yeah, so it'll be four years ago now when I sort of came home properly. Uh, well, I was already home. I've been been at home since I was about 19. HTB sent a letter through to say, you know, they're doing a strategic farm thing and I didn't really want to do it. And the old man told me I should do it. And I did it. <laughs> and because uh, that's what I do, it was untold. And um, uh, yes, yeah, so I've been doing it for four years at HTB strategic farming and we benchmark. Obviously, that runs alongside farm bench and benchmarking, which has been interesting. Farm bench covers absolutely everything down to what you feed the dog. You know, your, all your costs, which it, which is the interesting bit, I think, you know, really, because a lot of farmers don't put, you know, we we have put our own time in at quite a good rate. And, um, and that changes things a lot when you put your own time in at, you know, good money, what I call good money. So, yeah, everything. And then it's split down into enterprises. So, you know, you've got your cycle cows with their calves on until weaning and then weaning to you know, stores or whatever, and then stores to finished. And likewise with the lambs, you know, you sort of draw a line at some point in their cycle, and then you use that as a separate enterprise, so you know which bit's earning the money and which bit's not, which is a good practice to do, really. Because if your farm, you know, favours finishing, you're better off doing more finishing. And if your farm favours, you know, just lambing a lot of sheep, then, you know, that's, it's, it's a good way of pointing out what your farm's good at or what you're good at and what you're not. And what changes have you made to the farm as a result of the benchmarking? I've obviously bought in the TV isolation calf rearing. I've done that simply because of the cost of a suckler cow. I've, you know, benchmarking's proven that it sort of costs costs between six and eight hundred quid to keep a suckler cow here, which is a bit vague, but that is, you know, rough. And you can do a lot of rearing for six to eight hundred quid. 
And has it had an impact on the on the profitability of the farm? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we do we look at things more carefully where we spend our time, what we spend our time on. I think that's been probably one of the bigger things is is the ta- where you spend your time is important. We've always been a fairly low cost system anyway. You know, like the sheep don't they have a few mineral buckets, so I I'd have a job to reduce my costs a lot more than I do already. But the only thing it probably with the sheep, it's probably pointed out that. You know, my low-cost system isn't always the answer either because, you know, I don't have many lambs, which is part of the system. But when the lamb price is good, I'm probably better off keep a few less ewes and have some more lambs and have an easier winter like that and still run the same system of, you know, no feed because there'll be more grass because there's less sheep. And there's tweaks like that, that yeah. Yeah, it's those little things that really, really add up. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say, you know, farm bench has been life-changing. It, it's... um. It's been it's been an experience. It's a headache at times, farm bench, but it's it's good to point out the little things that you can tweak. You know, even down to your water bill somewhere. You think, cool. You know, you, you should look at that anyway. But when it's in farm bench in comparison to everything else on other farms, bloody hell, that was expensive. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and sort of moving away away from that a little bit. Are you making any changes in preparation for for Brexit next year? No, no, uh, it's probably not the answer you want, but I'm just going to hammer on and hope for the best, really, because I don't, I don't know what, if, if, we, if we don't know what to expect, why change something? If you can keep your costs, if you can keep your costs as low as you can, you know, and, and have, have a good system that's, that you can, is efficient, I, I don't, I don't know what else you can do. If, if for some reason the land price drops off the edge of the world, we'll have to do something then, but I, I can't see the point in selling all my sheep now in anticipation that the land price is going to drop so you know because it might not yeah exactly um and is your carbon footprint in in your mind at all when you look yeah at the definitely definitely uh well we run a lot of hls ground and uh stewardship grounds it is so you know all that's always been a big part of part of what we do i've this year i'm fairly conscious of our plastic we've always been bales and wrap uh, you know, we've got a fairly hefty plastic bill as it is, but so I'm going down the uh, forage wagon sort of pit silage route now to reduce plastic. And um, I'm hoping that HDB are going to do something with, you know, carbon footprints and stuff and actually work out exactly what we do emit or not emit. Because um, I'd like a number when, you know, when you're in this situation and someone asks you, you can tell them exactly what it is because nobody really knows what we do and don't. I don't think at the moment. And if you were speaking to another farmer who, you know, is maybe where you were four four years ago, would you, you know, what would you say to them? Would you encourage them to to take a look at this benchmarking and and what AHDB are doing? Yeah, definitely. All the schemes they're great. Even if, even if you learn, I always think definitely. Even if down to you know discussion groups, anything like that, I think you're you're better off going and find out something that is how not to do it than you are stay at home watch tv <laughs> it doesn't take a lot you've got a couple nights out a year and a bit of time on the computer doing farm bench and at the time it's a headache but it's it's nothing in comparison to what you can gain in the long run and i think the more the more people the more farmers sort of communicate with each other and benchmark and stuff like that the quicker we can all make progress because you know it's easy to learn from you know if you've got a group of 10 of you and one makes a mistake all 10 of you have learned but if you're doing it on your own and you make a mistake, you've got 
make all the mistakes yourself before you get there, you know. Thanks to Bertie for talking us through his setup. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next Tuesday, but from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening and we hope you stay safe and well in these strange times. Goodbye for now.